This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. I am a big fan of disruptive ideas, and this year, Casper Mattresses is on the top of my list. Hi, it's Glenn Beck, and I love sleeping on my Casper mattress. Casper is an obsessively engineered mattress at an unbelievably fair price. It combines springy latex and supportive memory foams to create an award-winning sleep service with just the right sink and just the right bounce. And better yet, it breathes so you don't wake up drenched in sweat. Time Magazine named it one of the best inventions of 2015. In fact, it's now the most awarded mattress of the decade. Try Casper for 100 nights risk-free in your home. And if you don't love it, they're going to pick it up and refund everything. Imagine that, a company so confident that their product is what you want that they'll offer a 100% refund. Made in America, with free shipping and returns to U.S. and Canada. Get $50 off of any mattress purchase by visiting casper.com slash glen and use the promo code glen. Terms and conditions do apply. Go to casper.com slash glen, casper.com slash glen. Ladies and gentlemen, Billy Hallowell and Chris Field. The Church Boys. From the sublime to the ridiculous, but mostly ridiculous. I hate these guys. Well, turns out Billy wasn't lying. We are providing another episode here because you have demanded our brilliance and we're bringing it to you. So, that's right. <laughs> What are you doing? Ignoring me. Obviously, I'm trying to start the show here. Hey, let's get this started. I only have a few minutes. We need no, to get this I'm, done. No, I'm, I'm sitting here looking at my email. phone and not even speak while I'm. I wait. I, I was. The, did you, did did you, you not hear, hear me? Did you hear the dun, 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 the music? Did you hear the music playing? Right? Yes? Yeah. Okay, your mic, your mic is on. Do you is hear reason, me? Is there a reason you weren't engaging? I said there? something to you. You yeah, didn't but hear very, me. But it was lame. It was really lame because it was just like. Man, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm looking at the real clear politics poll polling right now, and I've got to tell you, Clinton, Clinton down the line in every battleground oh state. It is not. Uh, it is not looking good. And don't you try to renege on your bet with me. Well, no, I do told not try you to watch on this. Change it after the con thing. After the con thing, I felt like that was the turning point, and I think it was. I think that Donald Trump thought he could drum up more controversy by battling with the fa- fallen soldier's family. Yeah, I don't know like, who thought that was a good idea. Dope. Um, and I think it crossed the line for people. Yeah. And it crossed such a line that people were willing to look <laughs> at Hillary Clinton as a more viable option. Um, now, both of them are cartoons. I mean, there's no other word to describe them. There's, it is the yeah. One of them is so is completely, according to emails in their account, allegedly inept and corrupt, and the other one is allegedly insane. So, <laughs> you know what? I don't. I don't yeah. really know. And it's funny because I have gone off about people who were not going to vote in numerous episodes, <laughs> and suddenly, and suddenly you're now going, hmm. Well, look, maybe this is such thing. a bad idea after all. Right, exactly. But I, I am not writing a third party and I'm just not voting. If that's what happens, so, it's just not happening. So now you have you have come you have come full circle and you have joined me back here in the back of the room making faces at the teacher. And I'm glad right. to hear this. Well, well, but here's the thing. I still do <laughs> think one of them is idiot, going to be president. Only an idiot's so, not going to vote. It's going to be one of these two. Only an it idiot. It is going to be this. But only, none of that I'm pretty part sure of my that's rant a direct changes. Co- it's still going to be one of those I'm, two. Okay, it's not going to be yeah, Gary yeah, Johnson. It's not going to be Joe Stein. Obviously, it's going to be Chris going to be one of those two. But to, to believe, I think this is a direct quote. Only an idiot wouldn't vote. 
because it's between these two. One of these two is going to be president. Only an idiot wouldn't vote. I'm pretty sure. Well, look, pretty sure that's a direct still a quote. Ninety-seven percent chance that I'll vote for one or the other. But <laughs> it's no, I, no, can, I, what? It's not not a ninety-seven percent chance you'll vote for one or the other. There's a there's a if there's any chance at all, there's a chance that you're going to vote for one. Well, uh, you're not voting for Hillary. It's never going to happen. Well, you don't know. I'm I'm not saying who I'm going to vote for, but I will say. I have talked to a lot of people who are choosing Hillary, and I think it's interesting. And I think that it's not, you know, necessarily they're not wrong. They're, they've chosen one they think is the lesser of two evils, and yeah. that's what they're going to go with. Yeah. yeah, I what I can't handle is the sheer insanity yeah. of both of these candidates. And I think it's a direct reflection of the fact that we have filtered out garbage to yeah. society yep. through every possible means. For years now, and we expect people to be competent when we've given them total incompetence. I know. Well, and I'm watching a speech. I'm watching. I got CNN on right now, and just watching her give a speech. And you know, we've we've said plenty of things about Donald Trump, why you should or shouldn't vote for him, or or why people would or wouldn't vote for him. And we haven't spent a whole lot of time on Hillary. I don't suppose mostly because we and our audience probably are on the anti-Hillary crusade anyway. But I'm just watching her, and I'm just reminded of. And I know you and I have talked about this off air. There is nothing about her that is attractive as a candidate. I mean, there's nothing you can't. There's nothing genuine about her at all. She's fake in every regard. I mean, there's nothing about her that, that should attract people to vote for her for president for dog catcher. There's <clears throat> what I don't. I mean, I understand if you support her policies. Like if you're a liberal, like I'm going to vote for the person who's going to implement liberal policies. I could understand that, but she happens to hold those policies. But what can I? Nothing about her. Here's, that, that is compelling in any way. Well, what's fascinating to me is that there's a move that she's made in this direction of talking about her faith. Yeah, um, that's weird. And it is without judging someone's heart because I can't do that. I am. If you have a faith, if you say that you're a Satanist and you subscribe to all the Satanist values and that's what you choose, I think you're wrong, but that's fine. You choose it. Sure. If you are a Muslim, if you are Jewish, if you are any religion, and I'm not comparing those religions, I'm just throwing them out there. And you say you are that religion and you abide by those rules and regulations and beliefs and theology under that worldview, great. That's wonderful. But if you are walking around saying you are something and the values that you're talking about are not in line with what you are saying you are, right. that I right. find repulsive. Yeah. And that – and I think for both candidates, there are plenty of things that – we could point to that that would would maybe be problematic on that front. Yeah. But I think that for for you here's and I'm just going to say this. I understand people who say Planned Parenthood does good work. And, you know, we we you know, we we don't we're not opposed to it. we don't hate Planned Parenthood. But I what I don't understand is Planned Parenthood is going to drive my campaign. They're going to endorse right. me. They're going to love me and I'm going to love them. That is a level too far for me. Mm -hmm. If you're going to say that all of your values line up with what this worldview is. And by the way, the worldview does not line up with the values that she is saying. And so that yeah. is a huge problem for me. Like, I mean, even, you know, I shouldn't say even, but like Jim Wallace would agree with that to an extent, right? I mean, Jim Wallace is a hard left, hard left wing, you know, evangelical, a big. He's pro life though, right? But he's Jim a pro lifer. Yeah, that's the thing. Is like yeah. he's he doesn't take the hard line on on abortion. <laughs> I now he he's pro life personally, and I don't think that he would. I don't want to put words into his mouth, but I I know I have family members who have worked with him and uh, and who know him. Who say, listen, he's a he's a pro lifer, which is which is encouraging to me. Like there, there's something we can agree on. But I mean, when you're just when everything that you advocate 
is in direct opposition to what most evangelicals would say biblical principles are biblical principles. You have an issue there. Now that well, I know mean, Jim Wallace has changed his views on gay marriage. I, yeah. yeah, he he supports gay marriage now. But that yeah. look, I think that's complicated. I don't know the ins and the outs of that. A lot of people support the legality of gay marriage, but still yeah. think it's wrong. Yeah, and and, and you can be and and I have said to 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 <coughs> to audiences or to uh, congregations I have preached to. Listen, listen, you can be a Christian and be a Republican. You can be a Christian and be a Democrat. But if your reason for supporting somebody is for principles that are not biblical, you need to check your principles, right? I mean, and, and I would say that about Christians too. And I know you've heard me go off on this rant before. But if your if your attitude as a Trump supporter is "get him," I believe an eye for an eye, get him, and you call yourself a Christian, you need to take a step back and take a look at the principles that you're advocating, because the Bible that you say you read and believe in, that's not the message of the Bible. So I think that well, yeah. you have to check your yeah. principles. Again, you can vote for somebody for any reason you want to in the, in the United States. And as a Christian, you can vote for somebody. Listen, you might not agree with Trump's principles of get him, but you do agree with his principles on something else, whether it's pro-life or, or whatever. So, Well, and I think, I think that's a good point. I think with Hillary, I'm not saying she doesn't believe she has genuine faith. I'm not saying, and look, there are, are denominations that agree with Hillary, obviously. We yeah, know this. Yeah. Um, I would say those denominations tend to be the ones that are dying the fastest and, and are because they, they've lost their center, their, their center on a lot of other issues, not just right. these random social issues. They've lost their center on Jesus and who Jesus was and what the Bible says. You know, when you start making rules and regulations that are not based on what's in the Bible and you've created a whole new system outside of that, you've got a problem. You do have um, a problem. And I think... You know, that's the problem that I have with some of this. But again, I, I'm not going to judge her heart. I'm just going to say the rhetoric and the stances do not line up with the traditional understandings right. the traditional, that are in the Bible. And the traditional teachings of the church, both Protestant and Catholic. <clears throat> so whatever. I, I yep. Look, we're not voting for a pastor or a priest here. Yeah. So, you know, And it would be interesting to talk to Paul—didn't Paul Kanger, the one who wrote the book on Hillary's faith— the, I, I think, think it's so. called The Faith yeah. of Hillary Clinton. Or something. I think it was Paul <clears throat> Kanger. It would be interesting to talk to him about this. Because I haven't read that book in forever, and I don't even remember much details about it, just because you get swamped with books. But uh, yeah, Paul might have some interesting insight on that stuff. Anyway, and we should get him on the show. So, you are you ready to transition? What are we transitioning to? Oh, you were gonna. But before we transition, related to this, you had a story on atheists and Trump and Hillary yes. values. Oh, yeah, what, okay. what was the, they graded them on? Something. What was it? I can't remember. I found remember. this interesting. This this was the Secular Coalition for America. They put out a report card, and they are going to rate uh, Gary Johnson and Jill Stein. They just haven't gotten there yet, but now, they who have are, provided who are grades. They? The Secular what? Coalition. They're an atheist group, right? Aren't they? They're an atheist group, and they're they're a lobbyist group. So they encourage atheists to lobby Congress. Um, That's right. And I have to say, I've had very positive interactions with some of their staff in the past. I was at an event there in 2012 to cover it, and you know, look, they they are diametrically opposed to the values That's, of most Christian lobbyists. I, I promise that's not Laura. So go ahead and continue. <clears throat> um, and so basically, they put out this report card. They graded Hillary. They graded Trump. It was a little yeah. eye opening in that the grade they gave for Hillary. Okay. And this grade is based on eight issues related to the First Amendment. Right. <sighs> yes, I know. I'm exhausted. Anyway, th this grade is related to eight issues related to the First Amendment, science, and respect for atheists. And <laughs> Hillary got an A. Trump gets an F. 
So what that's basically saying is atheists believe that Hillary is in line with an A on all of their values, most of their values, and that Trump is not with an F. And you can go and look. I have the story over on Deseret News, um, national.deseretnews.com. You can read that. But it's a little bizarre to me. And I know that Trump's flip-flopped on some things, but when you've got Clinton with an A and Trump with an F, I guess the question you have is— What were they grading? Well, you're— what? What were they grading? Would that be the question? <laughs> I mean, because well, this is wait, this is the guy. Trump is the guy who has come out. He's had how many wives and how many affairs and talked about stupid people left and right. I mean, he's the one who goes on Howard Stern and talks about, you know, sexual proclivities. And he talks about sleeping with his daughter kind of stuff. I mean, he's very sexualized and very he's very not he does not. His lifestyle has not promoted Christian values. So I'm not exactly sure what they're well, grading other than policies, he, policies he alleges to believe in. Well, I'll tell you what they're grading. What the, the first question was, what best describes your view of America? And they pulled quotes from Hillary and Trump. Hillary, I'm very supportive of the separation of church and state. Trump saying, talking about the Johnson Amendment. You know, so, so did, it's what they're talking about. Did, so it doesn't necessarily they, mean what they believe. Did they pull quotes? For, did they pull... Did they pull quotes from Trump before he started running for president no, or no, after he started are, running no. for president? Because no. those are two very different Trumps. And I uh, think, you know, I don't know. I, no, this is this is Trump post president, which which really right now is what matters because if right. you look at both Allegedly. of them, they've changed many of their their views on things. It's, we this are, is why I hate. I actually hate politics. We now. are. I mean, we it. are such rubes. You know what you are with your voting booths and your silly candidates. You're a rube. I mean, it's 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 just this whole thing is it's like we should have people of good character who want to run this country, not idiots and not fools and not liars and not freak shows. And this is a total and I'm not saying that these people are that in general as human beings. I'm saying in this election cycle, based on the things they've said before and after, that is what they have become. Yeah, I know. In the public eye. And I think that is a it's sad to me that this is the image that we're putting off into the world. These are the two people who we want one of them to represent who we are as a country. That is a sad state of yeah, affairs, and the rest of the world must be laughing. I, I, or cheering, like, finally, the, down, the downfall of America that we have been waiting for. You know, it's like... I'm not saying that they would both... <sighs> look, they, one of them might get in there, and they yeah, might not be awful. I but know, the I fact know, is, not downfall, they're not the cream of the crop. They're no. what happens when the crop has been picked, and you're right. scavenging for what's left right. over. And the, and the fact is, America's always been up here, and the rest of the world down here, right? I mean, this spoken like a, you know, a, a gay USA Republican, whatever, okay? Flag waver, Bible thumper, okay? And the left has always wanted to bring America uh, down to everybody else's level. They're working on doing that now with this election. Right, whether whether or not those the policies of Hillary or Trump bring us down is is immaterial. It's the fact that we are being the rest of the world sees us sees this as a clown show, and see us losing our stature as far as our moral authority, and are actually having a clue. They look at the people. You know what? The people of America are quite vulnerable. Look at the two you know clowns that they put up for to be president. It's not just that. Look at what the American people are fighting over, the things that we fight over, the issues that dominate. And conservatives are responsible for this, oh, too. Yeah. I mean, we pick very stupid battles yes, sometimes. Do. And, you know, we there are so many big things in this country that we should be working on and solving. And the Democrats and Republicans alike, stop, ta- stop fighting about the policies of it and figure out a way to help people who need to be helped. Yeah. I just... It's crazy to me. And I think I just I actually am so disenchanted with both parties and, yeah. and the way oh, that they 
handle themselves yep. that I I don't even know. I'm I'm I used to love politics and thrive on it. Now I'm just ugh. I like I, talking I, about I it, agree. but I just don't. I, I I totally get it. I get you. I understand. <laughs> but it's well, it's a nightmare. It really is. It's it's awful. It's awful. I mean, we have people who are more concerned about a Bible being in a hotel room. I Let's know. talk about the atheists who are going. Like, okay, do I understand the argument of a university-owned hotel having a Bible? Um, that being a bad thing. Okay, well, I understand that if it were a Quran or something else, people might be upset. I get that argument. I get it. Right. But, I mean, I, I know. I, you, now you're preaching to the choir here. It's, uh, why is that where our focus is? I mean, We have you, people, like, starving on the streets. Or, I, and the people just, who are helping the starving people on the streets are the same people putting Bibles into rooms. Because right. they believe in what the word says, it's not simply it's simply it's not simply knowing what the words are. It's knowing understanding its message and its implications, and the message and implications of the Bible. If you actually follow the message and implications, changes lives for the good, not for the bad. We are biting the hand that has fed us in every single way. Not only do we not want, and I'm this isn't some revival. I'm not a pastor, but. We we're, we are turning away from the only things that really I made know. us great. And we, if we want to talk about making America great again, um, okay, well, if we're going to go with that slogan, then we need to be doing 90% of what we're doing now. We need to be doing the opposite of. Right. And I think that is – yeah, it's just sad to me that this is where our focus right. is. Um, uh, yep. I, know, I, I agree. So uh, let's talk about the death penalty. Let's – can we take a break? We'll talk about the death penalty yeah, and then get and then into we'll the, the the, another interview that we have. Let's get yep. it. We'll be right back. Oh. I did. I did not have the brake uh, bumper ready, and now we'll take a break. RMS. The founder of this company ten years ago was trying to sell his house. He's, you know, he's kind of an important guy, and he said to his wife, "If this is what it's like for us, how do people who have no clout ever get around this?" So he started a company, and it went into business. I think three years ago. Their deal is, their word is their bond. And they are people that listen to this show. They are just like you. Now, how can I say that? Because I'm the founder of the company. Realestateagentsitrust.com And now, back to the church boys. They're a real pain in my ass. So who Seriously? doesn't what's wrong love with you? what's wrong what? with you? It's, it's sitting there waving. He's, Billy, well, I'm you're so, supposed to well be, no, you actually wait, froze on seconds, me. Seconds, seconds before I hit the music for us to come Honestly, back. Honestly, you I know said, what? Whatever. You're I going to bring us. Why you going to bring us back? We'll bring you back, and you can get us started. I'm bringing you back. I was going to say, penalty. who doesn't love talking about the death penalty? You should have said it about two seconds earlier, maybe three. Well, listen, I. You know what? Why don't you try to be? Uh, a, why don't you try to be a professional like me? Oh, please. The, the guy Honestly, who people, the bumper music. People, you know what people love about this show? <laughs> it's run by two idiots. That's what people love about this show. Um, and one is slightly more competent, you, than the other one. I don't me. know about that. Let's not go. Let's not go crazy here. I'm being nice. I'm being Christian. We talked about being a Christian. <laughs> I'm living out my values. Um, so, I I don't know. I've been thinking about the death penalty a lot lately because there's. So, I mean, there's so much. We we had making a murderer. We had, you have all these cases. And again, I'm not saying that. <laughs> I'm not saying that Brendan Dassey and his uncle are innocent in making a murder, but I am saying we, we have a lot of cases with a lot of questionable things that go on, um, and we have a lot of instances in which people um, are are put on death row, and in that case, they weren't on death row, but you, you start to question 
how good is the system that we have? It may right. be the best of what's out there. I'm not even sure that's the case, but how good is the system? And if the system isn't perfect or near perfect, do we support um, the death penalty? And is it something as Christians, even if we support it legally, that we should be supporting? And so that, that's that been a big question for me lately. And we did a big piece at Deseret looking at both sides and evangelicals in particular are starting to shift a little bit. This, the majority still support the death penalty, the majority of white evangelicals, but there's a decrease over time in support for that. So yeah. where, where are you on this issue? On the death penalty? I'm all yeah. for it, especially for idiots and who are ruining podcasts. No, I'm, <laughs> I, I, I'm a, it's, I don't want to say it's nuanced because that sounds, makes it sound like I've thought about this more deeply than I have. I am pro death penalty. I believe in, I believe in the death penalty for, and, and not as retribution, but simply as punishment. I don't, I'm, I'm not looking, I mean, it's really more of a reckoning than anything else. Like this is the punishment for your bad behavior. That's, and so you go to, you go to prison for this, you go to prison for that, you get, you, you are executed for this, right? You know, and as Ron White, the comedian Ron White, it says, you know, in our state, we have the death. If you kill somebody here, we will kill you back. I mean, and I, I, I believe in that. Um, so I, I believe in the death penalty. I think that, uh, I think that we should, uh, frankly, if we're going to have the death penalty and use it, I think that we should use it more frequently for things like rape, uh, child molestation, those sorts of things. Oh, wow. I, th I think, uh, I, or child rape. I think that, I think that there is, a, I don't know about child molestation and start to, you know, to have categories of, you know, crime here, but there are some things that I think that beyond capital murder that I think are worth that the, 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 the could arguably warrant the death penalty, right? I, I, I think that we haven't had nearly enough executions for treason in America. I think that that's a, I think very easily a, should be a, a death penalty thing. You're, you're super comfortable with it. I, I am. Now, here's, here's, now here's, now here's where I'm going to, uh, I guess, equivocate on it a little bit. I am sympathetic to the arguments of my Christian friends and non-Christian friends who have a moral problem with the death penalty, something like, I don't think we should kill, I don't think, you, you know, you kill, you kill somebody, we'll kill you back. I don't think we should be killing people back. I, okay, I get that. I can sympathize with that. I, I'm okay with the death penalty, but you know what? If you were able to make the moral argument to, to the, go, to the government and they outlaw the death penalty on those moral grounds, okay, I can, I, I can understand that. I might not agree, but I can certainly understand that and be sympathetic to it. I'll tell you where the, where the best argument against the death penalty in my mind is the fact that people who are innocent have been executed. I think that's the best argument against them. And we know thing. that that has happened. It has happened. You know, um, uh, I, I think it has happened... Uh, I think it has happened less frequently than anti-death penalty people would like for us to believe, but I think it has happened way more frequently than I am comfortable having have happened at all. Isn't one enough? What? You're isn't broke, you're one bro you're breaking death? up there. So, isn't so, one? Can you hear me? I can now. Yeah, you're breaking up. Can there. you hear me now? It's I, like I a can. terrible sub commercial. Um, you know, and I think with the rise of, of DNA capabilities of sort of figuring out the DNA situation, it wasn't until 1989 that we had the first exoneration due to DNA. So you imagine we don't even know how many people right. before that sure. were were put you know put to death right. when they shouldn't have been or arrested when they shouldn't have been. Right. I, I think. Um, you know, I, to me, now, do it's you know just, of anybody, now, do you know of anybody who's been arrested when they shouldn't have been? Absolutely. Okay. Can you think of, I can think of one, a number of people. I can think of, I, I can think of one, 
right off just off the top of my head i can think of one uh but yes you're right the legal system's not perfect people who have, well, people who shouldn't have been executed have been executed i don't think that i'm not totally convinced that having some one is too many that to me the fact that that one is too many doesn't negate the justification of the death penalty for people who are actually guilty but we can't i mean the, the what we've what we've seen is a system that has allowed people to go free who we know are guilty and has right. and then has maybe put to death people who we know are not guilty right. to me that is enough I think there there are some theological issues, right? I mean, it's very Old Testament the death penalty, first of all, very Old Testament. I mean, no, it's, but it's yeah. but it's beyond just Old Testament. It's it's. I mean, for Christians, you would say it's Old Testament, but the fact is, it's very mankind. Mankind has believed in the death penalty for a long time, regardless of religious Agreed. impact. Agreed. But I'm not sure. I my feeling is that there may be more sentiment in the new. The New Testament doesn't really speak to it, but there may be more sentiment that would cause you, if you really look, to oppose it than support it. But I have always been supportive of the death penalty. It's been the last couple of years that I've thought a little more deeply on it, and I'm not really sure. I think, I think there's a, I think we kind of think in terms of what's right for society, and then what's morally right. And I cannot answer. I cannot say that I think it's morally right to have a death penalty. I, I can say, I I can make societal arguments as to why it would be right to dissuade people from certain crimes and all of that but see i don't i don't buy the, i don't buy the fact that it's a that it's a uh that it dissuades people from crime i yeah, I, I i i don't it's very in very few cases right i do believe i and it's interesting my my liber, i have a couple of libertarian friends who have made similar arguments to me they they said i'm i'm anti i don't think the government should be in the business of killing people however i'm pro vigilantism now i'm not pro vigilantism right uh but I'm pro the concept of a death penalty if it's if you absolutely have proven it beyond the shadow of a doubt. I, the the question becomes: Can the government, which is corrupt in so many ways and inept in so many ways, effectively carry out a death penalty? And I think those are two separate arguments. I think there is a moral argument for a death penalty for executing someone who has murdered someone. Right? I think that you can make that moral argument that that is an okay thing to do. However, it's the administration of it, and therefore the law of the death penalty. I don't know a, if I think a, that's a moral thing to do. I, mean, don't, like, I can't say if, that. I if, cannot bring myself to say that I think it's moral. I could bring myself to say that there are reasons why it makes uh, logical okay, sense. Mor moral, morally, just, it's justifiable. Is it? Uh, well, I think that it is. I think If you, so here's, if you here's had why, Jesus in here's, front of you and you asked here's, him, you think he would say that. I, here's, what I, here's, what I, here's what I believe. I think that, yes— I mean, essentially, is what I would have to say because because God would now. There are things that people, that mankind has misinterpreted and and done that in the name of God, but not understanding what it is God was asking them to do. Okay, but God did instruct His people, and 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 again, yes, it's very Old Testament of you, but it was still God telling people to do it, to execute people. To He told them to go to war and other things as well. I mean, there's there is legal justification for there is moral justification for war, and there is religious and moral justification for the death penalty within the Old Testament. And just the fact that it was in the Old Testament doesn't make it irrelevant, but we do have to examine its implications. God did tell people to execute people, which means God said it was morally okay to do because he, asked, he wouldn't ask them to do something that was immoral. Now, in the New Testament, we have another understanding of... Uh, we, Jesus presents to us another 
a side of God that we didn't, that mankind didn't understand existed in a lot of ways. Jesus never condemned the death penalty. He didn't go out and promote it, but he didn't condemn the death penalty. And of anybody, Jesus being somebody who was uh, inappropriately executed, he was the wrong person executed. He never once came out and said, you shouldn't execute wrong people, the wrong people. You shouldn't execute innocent people. Now, would he believe that you shouldn't execute innocent people? I believe that he would believe that. <laughs> but he never made that, he never made that case. But we and, have more examples when, of and, him telling, you know, Peter, put the sword down. Now, that was more about letting him carry out what he was supposed to do. But, right. But we have more examples of Jesus saying, turn the other cheek, than we oh, absolutely, do. Like, if, absolutely. You were to, if you were to line them up, the people on the anti-death penalty side probably have a bigger, better argument uh, about it. So, and I think that they, there's plenty of arguments that they could make. But, for instance, uh, some anti-death penalty people would say, well, look at Jesus, you know, stop the woman from, who was caught in adultery from being stoned to death. Jesus' argument was never. Jesus' argument in that situation was never about the justification of the death penalty. He didn't come and condemn uh, the the law that required the death penalty for what she was doing. It was a matter of confronting the people who were who were being hypocrites and coming and trying to execute her. And he says, "You're a hypocrite. You can carry out the law when, in fact, you're not being hypocritical about the law." I mean, that's his that's his speech to the to but the. But that could also mean. I mean, you could take that broader and say Jesus is saying, who are you to take a life? I mean, what you all have sin. You've all done no, things no. that are horrible. Who are you to take a life? Right. Now, no, you now can, and you can make say, that well, argument. Maybe that's restricted no, just to you, adultery. Right. You can, <laughs> you, can make that, you can make that argument, but the fact is God never called the death penalty immoral. And because God never said it in the Old Testament, that means Jesus never said it because Jesus is a part of the Trinity, and the Trinity didn't begin on December 25th, 0000. Right. No, but what are the circumstances right. of calling for people to be killed? Right. They're, they're, right. But I'm just wonder, I'm saying as far as the morality of the death penalty, I now, still can't its say that I think Jesus would say yes. It's, I it's can't. Ex, the execution of, for lack of better terms, the execution of the death penalty, the the how you how you how you make it work, what the implications it has for society, all those things are worth being debated. But the, the but the idea that what God would say a blanket statement that the death penalty is immoral, I think speaks against the nature of God in two-thirds of the Bible. I, but I, but I, the purpose of that, when you talk about ushering in you know, the nation of Israel and the people right. into the land, like it's, I think there's context to it. I'm not going to say yes or no. That's where I am. I'm, I'm not I'm where saying, you are. Listen, listen I'm, saying, I'm saying something similar in that, that, yes, there's context to it, just like there's context to the death penalty for us. Let's say you can only be executed in America if you are proven to have slaughtered 100 people or more. Right, that's our standard. Right now, our standard is one person or more, you know, and depending on the severity of the crime, there is a standard for it, for its implication, for its, for how it's carried out. God had the same thing; He had different standards, but the fact is, He had a standard for it, and He didn't say that the death penalty was immoral. He just said the death penalty can apply, be applied in these places, and we say the same thing. So God never made the moral case against the death penalty. Period. He just said the death penalty is for these offenses. And if we don't like that, we can we can not like that. We can be uncomfortable with it all we want. But the fact is, God, therefore Jesus, never condemned the death penalty outright. He Look, said there I, are parameters for its use. I still can't bring myself to say I think Jesus would say it's moral. But I, I wouldn't say I think he's going to say it's immoral either. Right. But just, I do think... Yeah. I do understand why people like Sam Rodriguez, Reverend Rodriguez, have totally reversed course on this and now think oh, it's yeah. wrong and are, yeah, yeah. And are speaking no, out get, against and it. And I get it. I and I, and I would never, way... I would never Look, condemn anybody for being anti-death penalty. I get it. And I, I, and I would like love to be on that plane with you. I'm somebody 
who likes cops. I think they work really hard. <laughs> sure. I'm somebody who, mm-hmm. um, but I don't trust our justice system. I trust it about 50%. I mean, that the, is where I the am. The justice I don't system think... that the cops are a part of? Um, well, here, I, there are a lot of cops I don't trust. <laughs> I think just, there are I'm systems I don't trust. I think there are, I, th- I think that on the whole, everybody's trying to do a good job, yep. but too many people are doing a bad job. Even if you said it was 98% to 2%, yep. oh, yeah. um, it's it's way too many people yeah. not doing a good but job just wanting you, to close but cases. But that doesn't mean you um, get rid of cops. What? No, exactly. Uh, but right? the same thing, with, I think you could say, I think you could argue, you'd like it or not, you could argue, same thing with the death penalty. I don't know though, because the only benefit I would see to it so, is but the distributing word, crime. But what you have to <laughs> but here's, you don't think that's but here's true. but here's but here's where here's my other side of my argument from a purely political, non-moral stance on the death penalty. If and I think it should apply for long-term prison sentences too. If you are put in prison, you should and then it's found out, oh, we falsely accused you, or not falsely accused, there was an error, we messed up, it's proven that you were innocent, it's proven you were not guilty. Then I think you you ought to be able to sue the pants off of the government that convicted you and put you in prison. If you get if you get convicted on a murder charge or a manslaughter charge, and you're like I'm innocent, and you pled innocent, and you never pled guilty, and and the state railroads you, and you wind up in prison, and then it's proven later through DNA or whatever exculpatory evidence that there is, and you are able to get out, that you ought to be able to sue the snot out of the government for that. I mean, absolutely. And I think that the lawyers that brought the case, the prosecutors, everybody ought to be liable for that. I think that the government ought to be liable for those kinds of things. If you, ha- if you are executed, now it's not going to be, any, it's not going to be, it's not going to make the person being executed feel any better, but the family of someone executed incorrectly or executed wrongly or who, who is later found to be innocent, they ought to be able to sue the pants off the government for that. It's going to make the government way more careful in its prosecutions. It's going to make the government way less likely to use the death penalty if they know that. if they know in fact that they are going to be held liable for it. This is the same guy. And then you're going to risk point. You're going to risk we're... being disbarred for being the prosecutor who brings a bad case against They're somebody. Protected. No, no, They're no. Protected. I, but that's what I'm saying. That's why you have to. If you change, if you were to change the law to strip away that protection and say, if you are a prosecutor and you prosecute someone who is innocent and they are found guilty and they are executed or put in a long prison sentence, they can sue. They can sue the government. You're going to have to pay restitution and you lose your law license. I would be okay with that. Here's the thing. When have you ever known the government to really self-regulate itself, to really put but, itself on a budget? They don't care. They'll pay out. You think they're just going to raise your tax? You don't think they're going to? They're going to pay it out, Chris. They don't if, care. But that's what they're already to, doing. But you have they're to make it, it out. But you have to make it hurt on the prosecutors that they have to be held accountable. That to I it, that I agree with. It's but not I, just I mean, simply I, the government. I say the prosecutors because the prosecutors are part of the government, and they can't. They can't. They can buy insurance or whatever they need to, just like doctors have to have malpractice insurance. If you're found guilty of malpractice as a prosecutor, and this guy can bring a case against you, then uh, no holds barred as far as I'm concerned. That, I think, is helpful. That right? would be a helpful thing. I don't know where the, how the laws are and where they differ and in, it that, holds in that people account. It holds people accountable, and it makes you less likely to pursue the death penalty. And maybe you just start with death, death penalty cases and forget the, the jail time. But, you, but I, don't I mean, think... we read these stories about these guys coming out of jail. I've been in jail for 20 years, and then, then there's DNA evidence or whatever evidence that comes out, or somebody comes out and says they were lying. Those people ought to be able to sue the snot out of the state for, for falsely, false imprisonment, for, for finding them guilty for something they didn't do. And if somebody lied in their testimony against them or brought a false case, sue the snot out of them too.
Well, look, we've got 343 people who were exonerated in America since 1989 on DNA evidence. So, um, yeah, that might some people might say, oh, 343. That's not a lot. That's 343 people's lives. And I think 343. It, and I think we don't know were, the others. I think if prosecutors were held to greater account on those kinds of things, you would have fewer of those kinds of instances. Fine, but I just want to make one more point. I do find it strange that conservatives being so distrustful of the government oh, in every agree. single respect, I always, agree. you know, the government's going to get us. They have no problem with the government, when, some of them, when it comes to the death penalty. I, I find agree. it strange. Right. And also when it comes to cops and other things, too, because I'm, I'm extremely supportive of cops, and, and I'm a conservative. Right. But, but I do think we, we have a hard time all of a sudden questioning the government when it comes to some of these other issues, and it's yeah. like a little weird yeah. to me. It's no, like, well, no, you should have the same scrutiny on all of the government. I, I totally, no, I, do, I agree with you 100% on that. I ought to be just as Larry trusting the government with my taxes and, and the death penalty, right? The two things. Right. I mean, both of those things. We got an interview. Oh, crap, we do. We, and we got to get to it, too, don't we? We got to, yeah. We're just we going move. on and on and on. But it is, you know, I, we are trying to give the people what they've demanded. And this crushed. is actually a good episode. And, and I they think we're very intelligent. And they have cried for. And by intelligent, I mean, we're <laughs> ranting. <laughs> I used some big words. Did you notice that? I didn't even have to yeah, look Yeah, you were up. great today. I didn't even, I mean, I didn't even have I'm to look I'm incoherent, as usual. <laughs> <laughs> okay, what's this? Uh, just, uh, just a minute. A lot of fill time. Um, I, okay, Chris never, is into interpretive dance and Manny Petties, and uh, he'd like you to know that all of you. We and to, oh, we have, no, we need to do. We need to do a twerking episode. <laughs> Luckily, it's radio. Um, nobody will see it. Okay, here we go. Just a minute. So go. our interview is with this woman, Tani Cullen. Uh, she's a mother, and her son, um, Josiah, not just not to be confused with the blazes, <laughs> Josiah, Josiah Ryan. Right, 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 um, right. But her son, Josiah, he um, has autism, and he's nonverbal. And the reason that I'm bringing those details up is because she's got a book about her son. And this, and I won't spoil too many of the details, but something happened with her son one day um, while he was on an iPad, and he started typing messages out to her that um, were things she felt there was no way he could have known about God, about the Trinity. And it's a pretty amazing story. I know some people are going to question it. They're not going to believe it. Others will. Um, But we interviewed her, spent a lot of time with her talking about that experience and, and, and the book she has out talking about that. So go ahead and roll it, Chris. It's Billy Hollowell here with the Church Boys Podcast, and I have Tani Cullen on the line, author of the book, Josiah's Fire. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Well, thanks for coming on. There's quite a bit about this story, about your story and your son, uh, that has really sort of captivated my attention. I've been really intrigued, and I wanted to first just dive in to to autism and talk about the issue of autism before we get into the broader story. Um, You know, I I would imagine as a parent um, of a child who has autism that you have learned quite a bit along the way with with the entire process of finding out and seeking treatment. Um, You know, this is sort of a loaded question, but I guess we'll just lead with it. I love to lead with loaded questions. Um, What would you say are some of the big misconceptions that maybe people have about autism? Sure. Well, I think one of the misconceptions is that uh, all people who have autism are born with it. And really what we're finding right now is a lot of the kids that are um, being diagnosed on the autism spectrum 
really are displaying what's called regressive autism. And that is kind of, it looks like they're developing as a normal, typical child. And then somewhere around the second year of life, 18 months to 24 months, something starts changing very dramatically. And so that's one thing I'd like to say. And obviously as well, autism is called autism spectrum disorder. So it is a spectrum, everything from very mild and high functioning to what is called um, low functioning or severe. And um, for my son, he is nonverbal. He's one of the 40% that will remain nonverbal, but by the grace of God. So uh, that's something that I think is important in kind of differentiating with Josiah. He's more on the severe end because he's nonverbal. A lot of times with people, um, they believe that nonverbal means that they have a low IQ or that they really aren't intelligent, um, that they might have the mind of a toddler because they don't always react or respond in a way that helps us to understand what they really are comprehending. Yeah, no, and I think that's, um, you know, it's something that people are becoming more attuned to as we sort of, you know, move forward and, and we're seeing more, ki- <clears throat> more kids be diagnosed. And I wanted to ask you about that. Now, what were some of the signs for you with Josiah that, that led to concern in the beginning before you had a diagnosis? Sure. Well, Josiah was born in October of 2005. He was a healthy, happy baby. And really, aside from being a late walker, everything about his first year and a half of life was typical. It was on track, and we really had no reasons for alarm. And it was actually my husband's uh, parents who came to visit, and they're not with us all the time, but they had come the week before and then had come again to visit us the week after um, a visit, and they very gingerly told us that they had seen some signs that he seemed like he was different than he was before, not really as social and interactive. And so that kind of got our attention. And then very rapidly, around 22 months, he began to regress. He lost eye contact. He lost speech and play skills. And really, um, at that time, we had gone to the doctor. We had you know, very quickly acted and asked the doctor, what is going on? And the doctor really wasn't concerned. He said, why don't you wait about six months and come back and we can see what's going on. You know, boys can kind of develop later than girls and and that sort of thing. And I said, or what's the other option? And with that, he pointed us, the doctor pointed us to some therapies. And it was, you know, a three to four month process where we were just trying to figure what in the world was going on. Very confusing Um, very heartbreaking. And to see our son really disconnecting from us um, is is really a difficult, difficult thing to walk through, and you don't know what to do to get him back. Yeah, I can't imagine that as a parent. You know, that that has got to be a really difficult process. And then, you know, you you guys end up getting the diagnosis, and we flash forward a little bit, and I think this is where your story kind of kicks up a notch, and, and we have the book now, Josiah's Fire, you know, sort of documenting some of this, but let's just take me through, you know, Josiah, as I understand, was typing on his iPad, um, working on some, some spelling activities, and take me through sort of the moment that this shocking thing happened for you and your husband. Well, um, first, it, it, uh, it isn't quite that fluid. <laughs> um, um, I had actually been, I had watched uh, a documentary called A Mother's Courage, and 
Josiah by that time was about six years old, and he was then, again, just nonverbal. We had done ev- everything we could, therapies and all sorts of things biomedically that we could try to help him. And um, watching this uh, documentary called A Mother's Courage, what I saw was a method that a woman was using that was helping these kids who were nonverbal and severe communicate by pointing at letters. So a year before we had a very specific event that really is the core of this book happen, I had taken Josiah to learn this method, and it was there that we were taught, you know, presume age-level intelligence, and we were taught how to um, help him to communicate in a way where eventually he would be spelling by pointing at letters on a stencil, on a letter board, it's called, alphabetically in order. So um, about a year later into it, because it was a very arduous task, you know, just doing 20 minutes here and there as much as possible, um, I had been um, having a, a lesson with him at the table, and I said, Josiah, do you want to read from the Everybody Poops book? Excuse me for being crass. Or <laughs> I know that book. Bible? <laughs> you know, you try to kind of give polar opposites so that it's really obvious what he actually wants to read from. <laughs> so uh, he chooses the children's Bible. So I open up to where it says, Jesus heals the blind man. I read in the story about how Jesus heals the blind man. And then I say, Josiah, what did Jesus do? Josiah, Jesus healed the blind man. What did Jesus do? Did he H-E-A-L heal the blind man or P-L-A-Y play with the blind man? You write that on a piece of paper, rip it in half, and tap on heal and tap on play. Well, he chose correctly. He chose heal. I said, okay, let's spell heal. I had both stencils there but also his iPad up. And I said, let's spell heal. So he puts his little finger down and he misses H altogether. He hits G. And I was like, oh, he's missing it. And then he hits O. And I was like, go? (laughs) And then he continues to spell his first ever independent sentence, God is a good gift giver. Wow. And I was absolutely shocked. I thought maybe I was on candid camera or I was losing it or something. I didn't know what had happened because he had never offered up an independent sentence in that way. In fact, if anything, he had only offered up, um, you know, colors by himself, like brown. Um, So he had never written an independent sentence. And that's really what started this whole thing. And I really thought something had happened. I thought maybe God was healing him. Um, I didn't know, but that really is what spun our life in a whole other direction. So you see this sentence, you see this sentence, which is actually a relatively complex sentence in terms of the theology behind it and everything, right? And, and what Christians believe and, um, and, and not really something too, by the way, it's not like I was going around saying that phrase or that was a real common phrase to say. Right. Right. So, I mean, it's, it's really fascinating. So, so what happened next from there? I mean, obviously you tell your husband and you're, and you're in shock. What, how does, how did it progress from there? And what were some of the other things that started to happen? So, um, you know, during that weekend, my husband was actually out of town when this happened during that weekend, I just started asking all sorts of questions to Josiah and, and he goes on to write, God is very capable. 
And then he goes on to write more things that are just really um, very interesting, very kind of bizarre about um, spiritual matters. And also I'm asking him everything I can think of that's just to get to know him. You know, what's your favorite food? What's your favorite color? Even him being able to tell me very practical things because we really didn't know what was going on in our son's mind. And so, you know, not only is it opening up the ability to get to know him, but as time progresses, his his ability to explain himself is getting more and more complex. Um, later on, I come home from a, from a trip, and I bring him a lizard. And he goes on to explain this very complex idea about lizards that I know he's never been taught anywhere. And so I'm just, like, trying to figure this out. We're looking online to see what he said about the lizard. Is that true? And we find all this stuff about lizards that he had brought up, and I'm going, how is this happening? Well, later on, he goes on to describe, um, Jesus taught me the order of sounds as far as how he's able to spell and have a very advanced vocabulary. And so I'm like, you mean Jesus, like, is giving you hooked on phonics? (laughs) How is this working, you know? So even for someone who is a Christ follower, a longtime Christ follower, um, this is not on my grid at all. This is not something that I um, was like, well, of course this is the kind of thing that happens. Certainly I was praying for years about um, healing, really, for Josiah. But this, this whole thing took me by a huge surprise. And then later, um, Josiah would start describing things that were about heaven that really caught my attention. What would he say? Well, he would he would bring up very specific things that I knew were were there were he was he would talk about people that he didn't know. He would um he would talk about very flowery uh language like, you know, one time uh we had gone to his his uh, autism center's uh Christmas program and I said, "What do you think about meeting Santa, and he's like, Santa looks like Noah, which, you know, of course, that's that's easy to, you know, make right. that connection, but he would have so many, like, biblical things that he would say, and then he started coming out with these beautiful, almost like psalm or proverbs-type words. So one day I pressed him, and I said, Josiah, um, what if I give you the first line of a song? Could you finish it for me? And this really solidified it for me that something was going on that was definitely beyond the natural. And this is what he wrote, if I may uh, give you the lines of this real quick. Absolutely. So I said, fill this in. My favorite place in heaven is, his response was this, my favorite place in heaven is over peaceful waters. Peace is real. Tired souls naturally test peace roses are so stunning worship the king sing loud to the prized pardon who requires praise angels taste of his holiness ordained great attitude of praise help us worship the lord together please him all you hail the king of majesty forever 
make a noise to the king on the throne. He's seven years old at this time. What I mean, what are you thinking as you're reading this? Now, this is still through through the iPad, correct? Yes. What were you yes. thinking? Um, and by the way, interestingly about the iPad is it saves absolutely everything he writes, you know. So I, I when I'm when I'm sharing these things with you, these are verbatim things. Um, well, first of all, um, my eyes are wide and my jaw is dropped because. It is really a holy sense of awe that happens, and quite honestly, a lot of fighting your own logic. How can this be happening? This can't be real. And really, this has pressed my own faith very, very to the edges. And I know that that's something that the people who are going to read the book will experience, a kind of a discombobulation of where their faith is. And for me, I really had to ask the questions. I had to ask hard questions about what was happening before my eyes because it wasn't logical. I thought, are these thoughts coming from Josiah's own mind? Is this from God's kingdom, or could it even be from the kingdom of darkness? You know, is Josiah somehow subconsciously picking up something from me that I'm completely unaware of? I mean, these are the kind of questions that you ask, and actually these are the kind of questions that I would ask the readers to discern for themselves, is, do, do these things ring with truth? And if they are true, and it always is important to me that they line up with God's Word, um, what response does that get from me? From a faith perspective. No, ab- absolutely. I and mean, one of the questions I had for you is, you know, have, is this something you've brought to his doctors, and what have they said about this? <laughs> no. Um, I, I actually uh, won't bring this up to his doctors because, um, I, you know, they probably would want to diagnose him with something and put pill, give him some pills because <laughs> it, they would think it's hallucinations or I would think that they would have some sort of idea what is going on that I really don't want to even entertain um, because I know that that's not what's going on. Um, or they think I'm crazy. So have they, <laughs> I really um, don't bring it up to uh, typical doctors, although he, we have worked with uh, a psychologist who is um, more open to these things um, that is talked about in the book that we're, that we're much more comfortable with. Um. Is this continuing now? And first of all, how, yes. how old is Josiah now? Ten or eleven? He'll be eleven in October. Um, and and yes. does this continue? And and how does communication go between you now that this has been happening for a few years? Yeah. So, yes, it does continue. Um, we continue to have difficulty with um, some fine motor skills, some sensory issues. Um, it, it can be really difficult for him to sit in one place for a a period of time. So a lot of times he'll be writing something and he'll be right in the middle of something like so profound and then he'll like have to get up and jump or something or, you know, go off. And I'm just like left there going, come on. So there are a lot of frustrations still with um, communication and bridging those gaps into um, educational settings and all of that. He still very much has autism, yet what has really happened with his ability to communicate now is that uh, a lot of the behaviors and a lot of the frustration has gone way down 
and also just tapping into his value, his worth, and his ability to contribute. Um, he's the one, he wanted to have a Facebook page um, where he could share some of these things. That scared me to death um, because I thought people were really going to think I'm out there. <laughs> and um, I, I'm, I'm in ministry. I, I have a ministry background, you know, um, and I'm more kind of from an evangelical Baptist background. So all of this pushes the edges. Um, is God still speaking today? Is God still healing today? Is God still interacting with us today by His Spirit? And what is the nature of the spiritual world? And Josiah seems to be tapping into kind of a, a realm that many of us can't see. And I've really had to even, as a parent, learn to understand what that means and to help him with that instead of discourage him in it. Um, so, but yes, he continues to write every day. We have, you know, thousands of saved pages, um, many things that have never made it into the book. But one of the more profound things that continues to happen is Josiah might have a word for somebody that is either somebody that he doesn't know, um, somebody that I know maybe even nominally, that uh, he will write them and ask me to, like, give them to these people, which takes a big, you know, step of faith in itself. And what will happen is they will be absolutely shocked because there are details or phrases in there that absolutely no one can know. They are so personal and they're so encouraging to people, and it has caused them to say, I know no matter what I'm going through today, no matter what is happening in my life today, that God sees me, that God hears me, and he knows what's going on, and it's going to be okay. And it's really brought a lot of encouragement to people, people that are both Christians and people that are not. So that continues to amaze me as I see God work through Josiah, through me, and out to others in really profound ways. So my last question for you, um, and you've talked about why you wrote the book. I think that that really has to do with, with helping, you know, sustain others' faith and build others' faith. Um, what do you say to the people? Because you know, and I'm sure you've gotten this already, oh, you're crazy, this isn't true, you're making this up to make money. You know, these are the things that critics always say in all of these stories. Sure. How do you respond to those people? Sure. Well, um, first of all, people have some idea that when you write a book, you make a lot of money, and that's just <laughs> fundamentally not true. <laughs> I know that as well. So. In fact, I've never been more broke in my life, you know? <laughs> so, um, so definitely I wouldn't expose my, my, myself, my family, my son, um, to this kind of vulnerability if I didn't know that God was asking me to say yes to this. Secondly, this is our story. This is my story, and it is truth, and it is authentic, and the people who know me uh, know exactly my character and my nature, and um, I'm not trying to put forward any kind of agenda whatsoever so people can believe it or not. That I really leave it up to them to discern, and, uh, you know, whatever, whatever comes, I would say, yes, absolutely, you need to discern this. Um, you need to take it to the Word of God. Um, you need to ask God 
is this is this accurate? Is this true? Look in the Word of God. Um, but I'm not trying to prove anything. I'm just sharing my story, and if people want to glean from it, the only thing I want to boast in is God's goodness, and He is worth that. Well, thank you so much. This has been great, and I'm excited to link out to the book. I think people are going to be talking about it. I think it's a fascinating story, and I appreciate you coming on the show today. Thanks so much for having me. The Church Boys. The Church Boys. Man, I hate these guys. So how many of you guys... Did you hear me? So how many of you guys um, are using Target's restrooms these days? Because as we know, <laughs> Chris is raising his head, uh, Target has has clearly come under fire. They've <laughs> had a pretty bad quarter. I think they lost over 7% of their business. Um, traffic to their stores was down. Um, now, whether or not that's because of their stance. I love it. Uh, whether or not that's because of their stance on you know, the, the bathroom controversy, who knows? But that's the reality. And now Target is not changing their policy, but I find this very comical because they're not changing the policy, but they've announced that they have about 1,800 stores. 1,400 of those stores already had single-stall restrooms, which makes, makes me laugh because why did you enter this controversy to begin with? Most of your stores were already outfitted with single bathrooms that people could use. Like the family, anyway, like the family bathroom kind of thing? The family bathroom, yeah. which I like. I, I don't mind the family bathroom. Um, but bigger, more spacious. Dollars. It can what? move around. It can move around in there while you're gone. Yeah, I like it. And your whole family can go in, like when you're in a rest stop changing kids some, and stuff. Yeah. And you don't have some creeper come up and stand next to the, in the urinal next to you. Is there right, anything I, more annoying than you've got a wall full of five urinals? Empty bathroom. You come in and you take the one on the end, yeah, right? Strange. And some other schmo walks in, and strange. what does he do? Does he take the one on the opposite end? No. Does he take the one in the middle? No. He walks right over and stands right next to you. It's, it's like, weird, like, dude. It's you weird. have all of this space. I mean, we're not at Barnes and Noble. <laughs> well, <laughs> and, tar- and Target is going to spend twenty million dollars. <sighs> Sorry, uh, $20 million to outfit the other 400 stores. So if you're not, and they're saying this is not cha- a change of policy, and it may not be, but they're spending $20 million sure to add to coincide, the sure, rest of their... Sure seems to coincide with everything right. else. Yeah. Well, they're probably, they're saying some people aren't comfortable, and, and now they're going to kind of give them that opportunity. If they don't want to go in a restroom with uh, somebody who might be transgender, they can then use that bathroom, or transgender people could use that bathroom instead of using the other bathroom. So I just think it's comical. I, I wanted to close with it because I think we are living in a bizarre world and you're actually seeing it let's say that seven percent is a result of that yeah, you're yeah. seeing pushback for the first yeah. time in a while um and i interviewed for the book i'm working on um eugene volk about some of this and right. he's an attorney at ucla right. and he he said he's like look christians are to blame on some of these things they need to fight back they need to push back and he's somebody who believes in gay marriage um right. and Right. But but believes this has all gone too far right. when it comes at least to the businesses and 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 all of that. So I think this is an interesting story, and it we'll is. see what happens now that they made this announcement. Maybe their sales will go up. I you know I I, I don't know maybe maybe but they still haven't reversed. They they were very insulting to people of faith when they did this, right? When or people of faith or not even people of faith, people who were just had a problem with it in the first place. They they portrayed those those people were portrayed as bigots. And it's not bigotry for me to not want to have some, you know, some dude come and go to the bathroom with my nine-year-old daughter. 
Well, it's also not bigotry to believe that God created people as men and women. And I I think, you know, there's a study out, and I have not read it yet, from Johns Hopkins this week. I don't know if you've seen this, saying there's there's no evidence basis. There's no no evidence that people are born gay or transgender. I think that is—now, whether or not that's true is is to be— discussed and debated, right. but I and, think it's an interesting element. And and to, to, to be perfectly honest, frankly, whether or not it's true, maybe, I mean, whether or not it's true, I shouldn't say is immaterial, but it's immaterial to the moral argument, because even if you prove that bad behavior is genetic, right, well, do we allow that? There's more evidence that alcoholism is genetic. Right. Do we tell, the, do we tell the alcoholic, go ahead and t- continue to drink, or do we say, you know what, maybe that's not the best choice for you. Right. Because it's destructive. Well, let's end on this positive note. <laughs> well, this has been a happy, happy, joy, joy show today. Um, so where is what? What, what I got to find that I, I hit the wrong button again. Just a minute. You're right, the here. dumbest dumb. All right. Of all so, so a little more serious episode today versus what we put out yesterday. Yeah, it was nice. Though. It, was it was good. good. Um, I was really bummed that Laura didn't call today, though. Oh, she's busy. She's got she's a lot a, going on. A lovely woman lovely woman and by lovely i mean h o t lovely the church boys